Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. this sermon series for the fall of the year, we're talking about the fall of uh, man. And as I mentioned to you each week, it ought to be a wake-up call for us because um, Satan still likes to use the same tricks uh, on people that we see him using with Adam and Eve uh, to begin with. In this series, we're looking at, at these topics. Uh, the first topic we looked at was uh, doubt. Uh, Satan wants to get us to doubt God's Word. He came to Eve and said, did God really say this? And he wants to get us to doubt God and us question whether God really said something or not. But he's not happy with that. He wants to move from doubt to denial. He wants us to also come to the point that we will deny God's Word. As Satan denied God's Word, he said, God didn't really say that the day you eat the fruit of that tree that you will die. Today we're looking at the topic of death because what God said was exactly what he meant, that if they partook of that fruit, death would take place. Next week we'll look at distance because of their poor choices, their sinful choices. They are sent out of the Garden of Eden and there's this distance that happens between them and a holy God to the degree that it even affects their descendants that we'll see in a huge way in, in Genesis chapter 4. This story in Genesis about Adam and Eve and the fall of man is important in a practical way because Satan still wants to use these same designs, these same tricks to mess us up. But it's also important in a theological way or a doctrinal way because we need to understand this stuff about man falling into sin to help us have the right perspective on what the rest of the Bible is about. And why God goes on this mission that that works toward His Son coming into this world to die on the cross for our sins, that we might be reclaimed from this great fall that took place. So there's some practical lessons we need to grab hold of and, and some pretty important doctrinal lessons we need to understand as we look at this story. If the second man, Adam, Jesus Christ, is real, this first man, Adam, is also real. And you've got a story of what the first man Adam did, bringing us all down into sin. And the second man Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, paying that price for us that we uh, can be saved from that fall through uh, through faith in, in Him. I, I mentioned we've already talked about doubt. We talked about denial. Today we're going to talk about about death. See, when, when Satan was trying to use this trickery with, uh, with Eve... He said, oh, God, maybe that's not what God really meant. He, God probably didn't really say that. And, and then he outright denies what God said. He said, in the, in the day that you eat of it, God has said, the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. And Satan said, oh, no, that won't happen. But the truth of the matter is, Satan leaves out a very crucial fact, and that is that they would die. That sin does bring death. And that God did actually say in chapter 2 and verse 17 that you will surely die. Not you might die, but you will surely die. That's a little bit of truth that Satan leaves out. He's good at that. 
He wants to give us part of it and grab hold of us and leave out some very strategic truths. And in this instance, it was about death. So when we think about this aspect of the fall of man uh, today, we're in the punishment stage now. We're going to see some, some punishments that, uh, that God gives out. There's punishment proclaimed because of what takes place in this story. He, he'll actually give out uh, a punishment against the, the, the serpent. He'll give a punishment against the woman. He'll give a punishment out against the man. So let's look at this punishment of the serpent, which I call the serpent Satan. For this reason, the Bible teaches us through the rest of the Bible that Satan is a serpent, even refers to him as, as a dragon, calls him a liar and all these other things. So here, because this serpent is either used by Satan or Satan transformed himself to look like a serpent, we don't fully know. Uh, it's just conjecture for us to try and, you know, say beyond that. But we do know that that this serpent was used by Satan to tempt Eve. And as a result of it, God gives out this punishment. His very existence of this serpent seems like it's changed because the Bible said in verse 14 that God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field on your belly, you shall go, in dust you shall eat all the days of your life. The Lord God looked at this serpent that was involved in the fall of mankind through the temptation of Eve, and he gives this curse against the serpent. The reason I'm saying the very existence or the status of the serpent changed is, is this. Since in with part of God's curse against the serpent, it is now going to go on its belly and eat dust all of its life, that kind of intimates to us that before this punishment was given by God, that the serpent must have walked. The serpent might even have flown, which might be a possibility since Satan is referred to as a dragon. Maybe it was a, a dragon-type-looking serpent. But like I said, all that's kind of conjecture. What we do know is that as a result of its involvement in the fall of man, this serpent now changes, the status changes, and it's going to go on its belly all the rest of its existence and eat dust. It's cursed above all the other animals. So that kind of implies to me possibly that serpent might have been really elegant looking and maybe have a little bit of an elevated status, and then God brings this curse against the serpent and said, now you're cursed above all the beasts of the field. So his complete status changes. Practical thing we might want to learn from that is this. Our involvement with sin can change the very existence and status of our day-to-day -day lives. Now understand clearly what I'm saying. Because Adam's sin, by nature, all mankind has become sinners. So by nature, all of us are sinners. And, and the human race failed because of Adam's sin. So, so we are impacted by sin, but in a practical way, I'm wanting you to think about it in these terms. Our own personal involvement in sin can affect the very existence of the way we live. The world we're kind of like eating the dust of our actions all the rest of our days. You understand how that can happen? Kind of a tragic story that we choose to be involved in things we shouldn't be involved in, and then we get to eat the dust of that from now on. 
So that's part of the punishment that's given out against that serpent. The very, the very existence or the very status of it seems to completely change. But a second part of the punishment that God gives toward the serpent is now there's this conflict, this, uh, this warfare, this, this enmity that, that comes about against the serpent. God said, I will put enmity between you and your and the woman between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That word for enemy basically means hostility. It means to hate someone of an opposite party or an opposite tribe. It means to be hostile or to be an enemy to someone. So because this happens, God says, there's going to be friction and conflict between the offspring or the seed of the serpent and the offspring and the seed of Eve from then on. You know, maybe that is part of the reason why we think when we see a snake, the best thing to do is get rid of it, you know, uh, because that's kind of built into our DNA a little bit because we just kind of don't like snakes, most people don't, uh, for, for a reason. But what is really being said here is this. God is saying the family of Satan and the eventual family of God are going to be in this conflict, this enmity against each other. Now, if you don't believe that's true, just look in the news in our modern day time. Because all of this stuff that you see in the news between Islam and Christianity, that finds its root all the way back into this curse. Now, I know it's not politically correct. I'm sorry, I don't try to be a politically correct type of guy. I'm sorry, I just don't. I think Islam is part of the offspring of Satan. I'm convinced more and more that maybe somehow the Antichrist is going to have a direct tie to Islam because of what we see taking place on a worldwide basis. But even in our world today, you see this conflict between between Islam and Christianity. And not just that, between believers and non-believers, whether it's Islamic or or something else, between believers and non-believers, there's this conflict that exists. The only thing that can change that is when a non-believer becomes a believer. Because then they become part of the offspring of, of, of Eve, part of the offspring of God's family. And the only thing that will eventually change it out in eternity will be this, because there will be a day and time when the offspring of God's family are in a place called heaven and the offspring of Satan are in a place called hell forever and ever and ever. Then the conflict will be finished for good. But this conflict you see taking place between believers and non-believers, between things like Islam and Christianity, exists today because of, of this taking place, sin entering into the world. It's part of the curse. There's this hostility that, that exists, this physical enmity that exists. After God looks at the serpent and He gives the punishment out to the serpent, then He looks to the woman. And here's the punishment that he gives out back during the original fall to the woman. He said to the woman, he said, I, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, a little side note before we move on any further. I want you to notice that God cursed the serpent. He did not curse Adam and Eve. There is a result consequences that take place because of their sin, but he does not give a curse 
against them because God had a higher design, higher plan for them. Purpose that he had in bringing them in into the world. So the punishment that is given to the woman is, first of all, multiplied pain. He, he said, in childbearing, I'm going to make it more severe. It's going to be worse. Be multiplied pain in childbearing. How many of you ladies have ever had a child? Raise, raise your hand. Okay, put it back down. Let's vote again. How many of you ladies thought, man, that really felt good. That was a wonderful experience. <laughs> If you didn't hear the comments, you said maybe if it was by epidural, it wasn't quite as as bad. Truth of the matter is, that hurts, you know? Now, I didn't experience it from the standpoint of having the baby. I experienced it from the standpoint of Becky going through it, and she needed something to squeeze on, and she turned my arm into a pulverized piece of meat as the contractions were coming. So I know it hurts. Some of you heard me tell this story before. Next time around, that was with Jessica. Next time around, I smartened up a little bit. I took a tennis ball and I said, squeeze on this. I'm here for you, but you squeeze on the tennis ball when the, when the contractions come. So I, so I know it was painful. Well, you want to know who you can thank for that pain? Eve. It's part of the punishment that existed because of the fall, that she would have multiplied pain. It's part of the curse that God gives toward her, that she would have this extra pain in in childbearing. But I want you to notice something. Even in this punishment, there's also some hope found. Now, we'll get to some very big hope later on in the message today because we'll revisit this verse later on in a different kind of way. But right now, even in a practical way, as God gives this punishment to Eve, there's a word of hope there because, you see, God looked at her and He said, in childbearing, your pain will be increased. Here's the hope. Eve did not have any children yet. That means she's not dying today. (laughs) You know, death did set up. I believe the moment that she sinned, she died spiritually. I believe the moment that she sinned, that the very seeds of death and the aging process and everything started, and one day she would die, and Adam would die because of their rebellion and their sin against God. But God says, in childbearing. So that means, hey, I'm not going to die today. I'm going to get a chance to have some children. So there's some hope given to her in that. Now, there's some great hope, really, in that statement that we'll look at later. Another part of the punishment for the woman was relational problems. Because as part of the punishment, God looked at her and He said, Your desire should be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So, to start with, guys, before you start, I I, I don't want to burst your bubble, but don't necessarily think that means, hey, she's really interested in me. She really desires me. That may not be what's going on here at all. (laughs) Because the word for desire can be translated to run after, but more often it's translated to run over or to overflow. Anybody ever have any relational problems at home? Anybody ever have any conflict at home between your husband and your wife? 
You know who you can thank for that? You can thank Adam and Eve for that. Because most theologians believe that what God is really saying here is this. Because He's going to be over you, you're going to have this desire to overflow Him or to be over Him. So that sets in motion this conflict that happens throughout the ages with husbands and wives to where the, the husband's kind of supposed to be the one that God had placed there in that position. Don't ask me why, ladies. You can ask God later. You can't get God in trouble. You'll get me in trouble over it if I try and answer I'm just telling you what the Bible clearly says. And, and yet there's this desire that the woman many times wants to be over her husband. Wants to wear the pants. Wants to think, oh, he's an idiot. He don't know what he's talking about. He needs to listen to me. <laughs> I don't know. Even going to ask who said that. I'm like, yeah. Evidently, somebody doesn't have their spouse sitting beside them right now, you know. So there's this relational problem that happens that, that exists. But I, I want to run a side message just for a moment. I want you to clearly understand, even though that is part of the fall, part of the result of the fall, part of the punishment that God gives to Eve because of her involvement in the fall, I, I want you to understand that a Christian couple can overcome this. Because the Bible tells us in Ephesians, don't get drunk with wine, whereas there's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of the reverence of Christ. Keep it on that verse just for a minute. But back, back up. Keep it on the verse we're on. I, I, do you not think that things would be better in the home? If we kind of had that type of environment to where you're kind of, you know, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart, giving thanks for what God has done and submitting to each other in the reverence of Christ. Now, someone that knows their Bible is going to pop up and say, but the heading in my Bible does not say wives or husbands there. That comes after this verse. Yes, you're right. It's not specifically addressing a wife or a husband. But let me tell you this. When do you think God said, just because you got married, you can ignore parts of Scripture. If this is true for believers in general, and that's who he's writing to, just because you get married doesn't mean you get to throw it out and say, well, I'm married now. That part doesn't apply to me. The only part that applies to me is the part that says wife or the part that says husband. Listen, this applies to all believers, whether you're married or not. We, we need to have that type of environment with each other and be submissive toward each other sometimes. Now, it does go on if you want to see specifically how it addresses the wives and the husbands. It says, wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, in this day and time, that's politically incorrect because people think I don't like that. You're not having to submit to my husband, and it sounds derogatory to you. Well, you need to understand it's not derogatory because the word submit is a military term, and it talks about in terms of order and function in the home. It does not mean that you're less important to God. And the way you find your way through that, ladies, is you submit to your husband's as to the Lord so you can put his stinking personality aside and say, hey, I'm doing it to Jesus. You see how that can work? To the husbands, it says this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
Guys, I promise you, if you will sacrificially love your wife, if she will figure out that you love her like Christ loved the church, which was a sacrificial love, it will make it all that much easier for her to be submissive to you and make things better in the home. And then he finishes up that section, and he says, Paul writes these words, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. So here's a target or a goal that you have as a husband. You need to love your wife because God wired her in such a way that she needs love. And ladies, it says to the wife, see that you respect your husband. God wired your husband in such a way that he needs respect. And if you two will aim at hitting those two targets for each other, I promise you'll have a better relationship. Now, that's free marriage counseling today. Because I didn't want to be on a negative that I was on about the part of the curse affecting Eve in the relationship in the home without giving you a positive on it. God's giving punishment out. He looks at the serpent and He gives punishment out to the serpent. He, he, he looks to the woman and He gives punishment to the woman. And then He looks to the man. To Adam, and this is the punishment that he gives to Adam. And to Adam he said, let me call time out. Every, every guy look this way, okay? I'm going to read this next phrase. Be very careful where you let your mind go and how you respond to it, right? And to Adam, God said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife. See why I told you to be very careful? Don't you go off half-cocked and say, hey, the Bible said it got Adam in trouble because he listened to his wife. I better not listen to my wife. That's not what's being said here, okay? Don't, don't go there and try and find you a way out where you don't never have to listen to her. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. Now there's several truths there in this punishment toward Adam, the man, that, that we need to talk about. First of all, there's a greater accountability. And that greater accountability is implied by what God said. It's implied because God said, Adam, you listened to your wife and you should have listened to me. See, God had already said, don't eat of that tree. So what I told you a moment ago to be careful about, that's not saying you don't ever listen to your wife, but it is saying this. If your wife ever tells you something that is opposed to what God says, you go with what God says. If your boss at work tells you something that's opposed to what God says, you go with what God says. If our culture tells you to do something that's opposed to what God says, you go with what God says. There's an implied greater accountability here that's placed upon the man. He's saying to Adam, because you listen to your wife, instead of listening to me, that's why you're in this trouble. Guys, we have an accountability placed upon our lives to try and follow God's Word to try and guide our families, our wives, and our children to follow God's Word. We need to put what God says first before anything else. So there's a greater accountability. There's also a cursed creation that takes place. When, when Adam and Eve 
sin. Eve was deceived and Adam actually rebelled. He chose to disobey the words of God. When they sin, it affects more than just Adam and Eve or the serpent. The Bible teaches us that all of creation was affected by the fall. And Paul addresses that in Romans chapter 8. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy or not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now let me paraphrase that a little bit and tell you what is is said in the original language, in, in the Greek. When you look at the Greek manuscript, what it literally implies is that all of creation is standing on tiptoes, longing and waiting to see what we who are the children of God will one day eventually be like. The Bible tells us when He appears, we'll be like what? Him. Not only do we ultimately be completely delivered from the curse of sin, all of creation that was thrown into this curse of sin also one day will be delivered when we wind up being fully who we will be one day in Christ. When the curse is completely taken away, all of creation. That means, whether you know it or not, your dog or your cat at home is waiting one day for you to shape up and be like Jesus. (laughs) Longing for one day for us to be all that we're supposed to be and all of the curse be lifted from all of creation. That's what the Bible teaches. Literally, creation was affected by the fall. So much so that thorns and thistles and everything like that, it said, came up. We call them briars. <laughs> you know, around here probably still thorns and thistles. You ever had a briar to cut you, to prick you, to stab you, to get caught up in the briars when you're trying to walk through the woods? You know who you can thank for that? Thank Adam. That's part of the curse. I've had a lot of occasion here recently to be reminded of a part of the curse because I've been trying to do some some bow hunting uh, this year. First time I've kind of bow hunted in several years. I've been trying to to slip away and do that a little bit, and uh, it seemed like every time I turn around, I get caught with a briar somewhere. I can walk in. I, I think I think spiders must be part of the uh, part of the curse against creation or something like that. I can walk in in the dark. Knock down all the spider webs on the trail on the way into where I'm going, come out three hours later, and they've built them all back plus some. A couple of weeks ago, Jared was home from college, and he was wanting to hunt some and had a fall break. So uh, on Friday that week, I wanted to put up a new stand, and it was going to be a climbing stand. Some of you guys know what that is. Some of the ladies might not. But uh, anyway, a climbing stand, you're not using steps. You're going up the tree using the stand back down the tree. And I wanted to put it in a... In a, in a white pine tree at the edge of a thicket, that means there's a lot of briars there. And, uh, but as I go up, I'm having to saw out a lot of limbs on this particular white pine. And if I did not have someone at the bottom to drag the limbs out, I wouldn't be able to come back down because I have a pile of limbs there. So I asked Jerry to come and help pull the limbs out of the way. Well, after I get up in place, uh, where I think I've got the stand about where I want it to be, I tell Jerry, step over there 
to where I kind of thought the deer might be coming out based on a trail cam that I had put up and everything. Step over there and let me know how ahead I am, you know, here, the way I've got the stand position. So Jared starts over that way, and I see him stop, and then I remember the briars. And Jared, ever since a little boy, has hated briars, you know, if, if we're out in the woods or something like that. And a few years ago, he was playing paintball, running through the woods, and I saw a briar kind of almost decapitated him as he was running through the woods and everything uh, like that. Uh, so I see him, you know, start over, and he kind of gets hung up, so he steps back, and he's 22 now, he still doesn't like briars. So he goes over and gets a limb, and he comes back, and he's hitting the briars out of the way. And as he's doing that, I'm reminded the reason we have those briars is because of sin. Because Adam sinned. And because of that, we also have this as a result. Next slide, please. We have painful work as a result. Because now we have to till the ground to get what we're going to eat. Before God provided Adam and Eve with a perfect environment, nice trees with things to eat all around. And now because of the curse, with the sweat of our brow, we have to work and labor in pain to even be able to eat in this world. How many of you guys ever got really tired, really, you know, hurt because you've been working hard, sweat pouring off of you? You know who you can thank for that? No, you guys didn't raise your hand. You better raise your hand because your wife's already thinking, no, they don't do that. They don't sweat or nothing. Because of sin. Because of sin. And another part of the curse that God gives to the man, I think, is that it puts things really in perspective. Clear perspective for Adam and us. What was Satan's lie? God, the real reason God doesn't want you to eat this fruit of the tree of good and knowledge, of knowledge of good and evil, is that the day you eat it, he knows that you're going to become like who? God. Well, Satan, as he always does, lied. And instead of Adam becoming like God, part of the curse is this. Adam, you're dust. I made you out of dust. I breathed life into you. And you're going to go back to dust. In other words, the implied message is this. We can't become like God ourselves. There's this new age way of thinking that says everyone has this God in them and all you have to do is kindly, you know, fan that divine spark and kind of become more and more like God. You don't need a Savior. You don't need Jesus. Mankind has its own dignity. That's all we need to do is just kindly flame, you know, kind of fan our own dignity a little bit, our own deity and become like God. Well, the truth of the matter is this. No matter how highly you think of yourself, you're nothing but dust and you're going to return to dust. That was part of the curse that God gave to Adam. Where one day he would definitely die. Every time you stand by a sick bed, every time you go to hospice, every time you watch somebody die, every time you go to a funeral, Every time you go to a funeral visitation, every time you go to a cemetery, you ought to be reminded of this. Sin brings death. 
That's part of the punishment that was, that was given out. But in this story this morning, I'm glad there's more than just punishment. Because in this story where God is dispensing out these judgments because of the fall of man, there's also a great provision that's promised. Yes, God gives out punishments, but right in the midst of the punishments, we can find a provision promised to us by God. One is found in the verse that we already looked at that I told you I wanted to come back and deal with more fully. There's a provision that would come through the seed or the offspring of the woman. God had looked at Eve and said, I'll put that enmity that we've already talked about between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, talking to the serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. Eve is given a promise. We're given a promise. God's people is given a promise. And this statement that God makes to Satan, that is the very first promise in the Bible. Thank God that a Redeemer one day would come. That Jesus one day would come as the ultimate seed or the ultimate offspring of the woman. Theologians call it this. It's pro-evangelium, which literally means the first gospel. Here we have the very first announcement, the first beacon of hope. That the Jews, God's people in the, in the Old Testament would even look at this as being a great promise, a great prophecy that one day the Messiah would come. That one day the seed of the woman would overcome the seed of the serpent. That one day the, 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 the curse of sin would be overcome by this seed of the woman. That this woman would have a special offspring eventually through her seed one day. And even though the serpent would try to bruise the heel, Jesus would stop the head of the serpent. Jesus would crush the head of Satan with his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead and provide a provision of forgiveness and restoration and eternal salvation for all who believe in Jesus. In the movie, The Passion of the Christ, they depicted the ultimate crushing of the head of Satan by Jesus being in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, the Bible tells us, even to the intensity of great drops of blood sweat through the corpuscles of his body, knowing that what loomed in the future was a cross and the sin of all mankind being placed upon him. They depicted it in the movie of Satan being there and sending out this serpent as a temptation. And what they depicted in the movie, Jesus actually accomplished. Because when he went to the cross and shed his blood, and he took his life back up, he purchased salvation for all who believe. And the head of the serpent, what was lost in the fall, is crushed by Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen? The Bible tells us, if you want to get a picture of His future condemnation, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. If you want to see where Satan's ultimate home will be, the Bible tells us the devil who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and 
night forever and ever. That's the ultimate eternal location of Satan, the one that wants to cause us so much trouble that caused this fall to take place originally. The promise that this seed would come, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent shows us a great promise that eventually Eve would bring the Redeemer into the world. Yes, she would have offspring. That's what God promised her. She would have offspring. But there's a special, ultimate offspring in view that one day, through her offspring, the Redeemer would come into this world. And on the heels of that, Adam looked at Eve, the woman, and he gave her a name. He called her Eve. The word means life giver to live, to declare, or to show. And I love that because you know what took place? God took a sinner who had just sinned tragically. And God says, I'm going to take you and turn you in to the giver of life. More than just physical life, but spiritual life because Jesus Christ would be born through her bloodline. Galatians chapter 4, if you want a little bit more perspective on that, verse 1 through 5. It says, I mean that the heir, Paul's kind of writing about, you know, heritage right here. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But he is under the guardians and managers until the day set by his father. The same way also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But, notice this, and I read that just to get here. But... When the fullness of time had come. What God had said would happen, what He even promised to to Eve there in the Garden of Eden. When, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. What God prophesied happened when Jesus was brought into this world through a woman virgin-born, that through Him we might have everlasting life. Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Adam, instead of being deceived, he rebelled. Yet, look what it says about the woman, yet she will be saved. How? The childbearing. Eventually the offspring of Eve would bring the Savior, Jesus Christ, into the world. In this story of punishment that we're reading today, in this story of death that we have before us here in Genesis chapter 3, right in the midst of this story of punishment, there's also a great provision. The first provision is the offspring or the seed of the woman gives us a promise one day that the Savior would come. But there's also a provision that comes through a substitute or a sacrifice. Because in verse 21, it said, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Last week we talked about the fig leaves. What happened when Adam and Eve saw that they were naked and they were ashamed? What did they do? They went and they got fig leaves and they did what with them? They sewed them together trying to cover themselves. You had an Adam and Eve designer clothesline that started there very early in the human race. But it would not work 
Because our own works can never cover our shame and our nakedness. So what God does instead is kill animals, and He takes the skin from the animals to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. Will you put yourself in Adam and Eve's shoes for a minute? There had never, ever been death. They had never seen death. They had never seen bloodshed. It's not like us. I mean, we see it on TV all the time. We're, we're almost immune to it even bothering us because we've been so bombarded by Hollywood and by our culture, by bloodshed and death and murder and everything like that. But imagine being there, Adam and Eve, and you've never, ever seen a death. You've never, ever seen blood before. And all of a sudden, the very God that you used to enjoy the fellowship with before you experienced the shame of your sin, that loving God that you hung out with in the Garden of Eden, all of a sudden, that God kills animals. And you see the bloodshed, and He takes those skins, and He uses it to cover your nakedness. Here's the lesson that God was teaching. Our own works can never cover our nakedness. It can never cover our shame. It can never cover our sin. It was also teaching this, that sin causes death. Either your death or the death of a substitute or a sacrifice. That's what God taught that day in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve see... Adam and Eve see an innocent animal that had done nothing die in order that their nakedness might be covered. And thankfully, that's the exact same thing God has done for us. Because God sent His Son, innocent, holy, sinless, and nailed Him to a cross. Sin causes death, either my death, your death, or the death of a sacrifice, a substitute. God said, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to send a substitute to die in your place on the cross. And through faith in Him, that's how your shame will be covered. In the Garden of Eden, God took the sin of Adam and Eve, and to give you a theological term, imputed, the sin of Adam and Eve to those animals. The animals were innocent, but God killed them in place of Adam and Eve. And in the same way, God takes our sin and He imputes our sin upon His Son so that when we believe in Him, through faith in Him, God in turn imputes His righteousness to our account. The Bible says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him, a person, the iniquity of us all. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. In the Garden of Eden, when those animals were killed, that's a picture or a type of Jesus dying for our sins. In the Garden of Eden, you see the Lamb of God being typified. In Isaiah, you see the Lamb of God being personified because Isaiah calls Him a him, a he. 
Jump to the New Testament and John the Baptist is there with some of his believers. And here Jesus comes walking by. And now the Lamb of God is not just typified or personified. The Lamb of God is identified because John the Baptist points at him and says, There he is. That's the Lamb that takes away the sin of all the world. Then we have the Lamb of God crucified on the cross, but thank God He did not stay there. They put Him in a tomb. He took His life back up. He sits in heaven today upon the throne. And in Revelation, we see the Lamb of God glorified where we will worship Him forever and ever around the throne if you know Christ as your Savior. Our sin was given to Jesus so that His righteousness can be given to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, for our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We're not told what kind of animals were killed. I'm banking on it having been lambs or having been sheep, because you see that all through the Bible. And Jesus being the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But here's what Jesus has done for us. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him. In other words, we died with Jesus. We're alive with Jesus by faith in Him. Having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us, which is legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. What Jesus did for you is nail your sin to the cross. Your substitute, your sacrifice, that we see a picture of in these animals being killed. Sin, as I said a moment ago, brings death. The Bible's clear about that. It's unmistakable. Sin brings death. It either brings our death or the death of a sacrifice. You can say no to Jesus and one day stand before God and pay the penalty for your own sins. Or you can say yes to Jesus and understand that He's your substitute. He's your sacrifice. He died in your place on the cross. And by faith in Him, you can be given everlasting life and be totally forgiven when you stand before God. Instead of God disinheriting Adam and Eve, what God did was put a covering on them. You remember the story of the prodigal son we spent so much time on several months ago? When that prodigal comes back home, the father did not disinherit him. Instead, the father comes out and clothes him in his own robe. And that's what God does for us when we trust in Jesus. That's what God did for Adam and Eve. He clothed them with garments that He made. And when we trust in Jesus, He covers us with the very righteousness of Christ. I'm going to read two passages of Scripture, and then we're going to have an invitation. Romans chapter 5 and verse 15 talks about the sin and the free gift that's available through Jesus. It says, but the free gift, that salvation provided through Christ, is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God in the free gift by the grace of God of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
In other words, one man, Adam, sin through one man, Jesus Christ, is a free gift of salvation that's provided. The free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. All of the human race was plunged into sin because of one man's sin, and that's Adam. But at the same time, there have been a lot of sins happened since then. A lot of people say, hey, it's not right for God to call me guilty because of what Adam did. Well, guess what? You're guilty also because of your own sin. Because all those have sinned. If you're not willing to admit that, you're not anywhere near the truth in your life. All those have sinned. Why is it right for God to say I'm a sinner because of what Adam did? Why should I be impacted by that? Hey, I'll be honest with you. I'm impacted by things that people who represent me do all the time, and I might not like it. If you've got a congressman or a senator that represents you, represents this area, and they vote opposite of what your convictions are, guess what? You are still impacted by what they do. You understand that? Adam cast a vote towards sin as a federal head of the human race, and that threw all of the human race into sin, but we all have our own sin. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness. Jesus dying on the cross leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, Jesus dying on the cross, saying, not my will, but thine be done, and going to the cross and paying the price for our sins. By one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. One last verse. For as by a man, Adam, came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, for as in Adam all die, though also in Christ all shall be made alive. There's only two groups of people in the world. The offspring of Satan and the offspring of God. You can choose which group you are a part of. If God calls you to His salvation, if He deals with your heart, you can believe by faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and you can be part of God's family or you can stay where you are and be part of Satan's family. There's only two groups of people in the world in conflict right now. Through one man, all of us lost. Through one man, we can be made alive if you'll trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.